this for the past few weeks. We are so glad you're here. Worship the Lord together and share in community and life together. Just one announcement before we have an announcement about BBS. And uh, we get to celebrate a wonderful baby dedication this morning as well. But one announcement for all the ladies primarily. There's going to be another homemaker's workshop this Saturday coming up, uh, May 13th. Um, this month's topic is going to be a recipe swap and a food Well, we want to make sure we hear you sing, so I'm just kidding. All right, there we go. So it's going to be a recipe swap and food chat, so we're asking everyone to bring, um, they're asking the ladies to bring five uh, like cards with recipes on them, family recipes that you guys love, some of your favorites. Also bring one of your favorite dishes. There's going to be a time together, a fellowship and eating that you can enjoy together. So everyone that comes, they ask you to bring a dish, bring some recipes on some cards to be able to swap and talk about meal planning, seasonal eating, all types of tips in that regard. Um, if you need to have any questions, you can see Alana Taylor or my wife, Nikki, and it'll be this weekend at 9 a.m. Very excited about that. All right, kids, you guys excited about VBS? Yeah! A few weeks away. We're very excited. Our children's director, Molly Moore, is going to come give us a little announcement. Look at that shirt. Woo! Twist and turns. I threatened to turn a cartwheel, but then we'd have to call the ambulance, wouldn't we? So, um, hello. Good morning. So for those of you who don't know me, and, and we've got a lot of new people here. My name is Molly. I'm the children's director here. Um, just VBS is coming up. That's our main thing right now. It will be June 12th through the 16th. Um, we have such fun at VBS. Lifeway does an excellent curriculum that is very scripturally grounded. And all week long, we talk about Jesus and we talk about... Well, I see people I haven't seen in a while. Sorry. Um, <laughs> And um, we, it, we really have a great time doing it in fun ways. And we have lots of um, volunteers right now, but we still need a few more. We need just a sprinkling of a few more. Even if you can't be there all week long, please let me know if there's any way you can serve. And I, I just saw something this last week, which was a C.S. Lewis quote, and I put it up on Facebook, and I'm trying to remember the exact words, but wanted to share it with you. It says... Children are not a distraction from the more important work. They are the most important work. And I want us to remember in this church, we have so many children. We are beyond blessed with so many little ones. And guys, we have a lot of volunteers that work here every Sunday, every Wednesday um, to love on these little kids. And I was talking to a few of the volunteers. Guys, we have volunteers that have worked here eight, nine years teaching Sunday school. We have some that have done about that length of time leading kids' worship. We have some that have taught in this little nursery for five years. I mean, we have a lot of dedicated volunteers. But unfortunately, it's not enough. We really need some more help. We are soon needing a teacher for three-year-olds, for kindergartners every Sunday. We need some help in um, some big ways to be able to help these kids. And we want all of these families to be here. We want to provide a good way for the children to have fun, to be safe, but to learn about Jesus each week. So pray about those things. Be thinking about, and as you look at little Ford Watley pretty soon up here for a baby dedication, let it remind you of the promises we're making to these families. And we need, just need more help. So come tell me if you um, have a way you think you can serve. Thank you guys.
wonderful segue. Here's our pastor ready to lead us in this time. Very excited. Well, good morning, Gateway family. We get the joy this morning of having a baby dedication. So Kyle and Kayla, you guys come on up here with Ford and with Margaret and Weldon and Riggs and Winnie. It's a joy for me to be up here with you guys again. I was joking with Kyle before the service. This is the fourth baby dedication I've done for their family since being here at Gateway. So I think they get the award for the most baby dedication I've done for one family before. And I'm sorry to have a medal for you offer that, but... In all seriousness, joking aside, what a blessing it is because we live in a world, friends, where children are seen as a hindrance to career, as a hindrance to hobbies, and to see families here at Gateway embracing the, the, the heart to have children, to love children as God enables them to do that. We're thankful for, for your example. And uh, so this is Kyle and Kayla Watley here. This is, this is baby Ford, and they've got Margaret and Weldon and Riggs and Winnie, the big siblings, you know, with them. Now, why are they standing before you? Have you ever thought before to, and realize that the babies have no memory of this. We're doing something these babies will never remember because they don't have a memory from, from this age here. But they're doing it because the parents remember. And I pray we as a church family remember. But even more than that, God remembers. God hears these prayers that the parents lift up, the commitments the parents make, and the commitments we as a church make. And God hears and God remembers. So standing before you today knowing that God hears these prayers. They're also standing before you today because they believe that God is sovereign over all things. When we talk about God being sovereign, that's not just a nice theological concept for a coffee shop. It has practical applications for all of our life, including how we parent. Because Kyle and Kayla know that God is sovereign, they know their children have come from Him. They know their children belong to God, and they know that their children have been entrusted to them for such a time as this to raise in God's ways. And so we see that truth all throughout Scripture. Psalm 127 tells us children are a heritage from the Lord. Kyle and Kayla embrace that and walking alongside them we see them embracing that we see the example in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where Hannah says for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him therefore I've lent him to the Lord as long as he lives he has lent to the Lord so as Kyle and Kayla stand here today they're affirming that they believe that Ford has been created by God for such a time as this that he and the other children are all made in the image of God and they've been entrusted to them and so it's an incredible responsibility that they have embraced by God's grace in raising these children so Kyle and Kayla first a charge for you and then a charge for the community but charge for you I want you to hear Deuteronomy 6 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise and in the instruction of Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's an incredible task that God has given to you guys to teach them diligently, to raise them in God's way. So just a few questions for you for Kyle and Kayla. First of all, do you seek, do you desire to seek God's grace to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, both individually and as a couple? I know you do. Do you desire to have a home where God's word permeates all that you do? No, you do. Do you recognize this day that Ford is a gift from God entrusted to you and ultimately Ford belongs to God? Do you commit this day by God's grace to teach Ford God's ways? And do you commit this day to regularly pray for the day that Ford will trust Christ and live for him throughout his life? I know you do. Now, Gateway family, this is a community affair for us as well, so I have a charge for you. Will you agree to pray regularly for Kyle and Kayla as they raise Ford and to pray that Ford will trust Christ in an early age? Will you agree to pray that for them? And we agree to come alongside Kyle and Kayla to encourage them and aid them in practical ways in the tasks that they have been given by God. 
but I want to remind you, you committed that to them five times also, right? And you committed that to many other families here. So I hope as you see the children running around the church, it'll be a call to prayer to remind you in your own devotions and your families and your smoggers to be praying for these children of Gateway that we have committed to pray for. So I want to pray over you guys right now, and I pray you'll join me in this prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the Watley, so thankful for Kyle and Kayla and Lord, their deep love for you that's obvious in so many ways. We're thankful for how your gospel has gripped their hearts, how your grace has pursued them, changed them, and transformed them. Thank you for their heart for people. Thank you for their heart for this church. Thank you for the way they serve so joyfully in so many ways. And we thank you for their heart for their kids. Thank you for what they model for us of what it looks like to love kids well and to not see kids as a hindrance, but to see children as a blessing from God. And so as they've stood here before several times in the past and they stand before you again today, we ask for much grace for Kyle and Kayla then the busyness of life and the gospel be foremost in their own hearts and minds, foremost in their life as a married couple and foremost in their home. We ask for much grace for them as they raise forward along with their other children, Lord, that you would just bless them and that give them the wisdom they need to point their children to you. And I pray you give their home a place that will be full of joy and peace and hope as they go through all the things of life. Lord, we do pray for baby Ford. Lord, thank you for what a blessing he is. And we pray that you would be turning his heart to you, that at an early age he would trust Christ. And Lord, you would use him powerfully to make your name known, that your glory would go forth, that people would understand your greatness and your attributes through the life of Ford. And so we thank you for him, ask your blessings on him and his family, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's a good amen for you. There's a Bible for you guys that are excited for you all. All right, if we could please stand as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through song. I'm going to read us a passage from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 9. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and they deliver him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Let's worship him this morning.
God, we are so grateful to you. We praise you for who you are. You're worthy of all of our praise. Meet each of us here now, Lord, wherever we are. We've just worshiped before you and declared these truths, God. Work on our hearts. Continue to keep us broken before you, knowing that there is no other source. You are the source of life. You are the only hope. And may we just rest there and we're reminded of that this morning to bring those things before you that we can't deal with, we can't have any answer to but you. And that's why we come each week to take time to intercede, to pray for others, nations, peoples, other family members in our family of God, to entrust them to you, knowing you're faithful and trustworthy. So Lord, this morning we do thank you so much for our gateway youth, our teenagers here. God, just working with them over the past couple of years, what a joy, what a joy it has been to see you work in the lives of these young men and women. God, we pray you continue to draw them to yourself, continue to convict them, and bring them to a place of repentance and drawing them to intimacy with you, Lord. And as Molly said, just recognizing that uh, to invest in these young ones and to be able to, they can live their lives now um, faithfully and in the spheres of influence you have them at their schools and some of their jobs and their families, that they can use, be used by you, Lord, to bring honor and glory to you, to be salt and light, to be your ambassadors. May they recognize that, that you desire to use them in that way and you desire to know them intimately and be, to draw them to yourself. Continue to speak to them and give the, the youth team leadership wisdom, Lord, as even as we meet today to cast vision and pray for our students and just to see what we're going to be doing this summer. We just want to be led and directed by your spirit for these students. And Lord, we thank you for the ministries that are a part of us that we can pray for and partner with. And God, we thank you so much for the ministry of Fisher's Farm. We thank you for Jeff and Jennifer's leadership, their love for these men. We thank you for each of these men, God, their hearts to know you, to serve you, to be transformed by you, God. We pray you continue to draw them and speak to them work on their hearts, God, and may they know how much you love them and care for them, that you have a purpose and a calling for each and every one of them, Lord. We pray you continue to do that as you build community among themselves, as they encourage one another and live together, and just for your honor and glory, Lord, we pray you continue to do an amazing work in and through them. Continue to provide the resources they need to minister to them, and as they minister in the community, working in different places, on homes, and even here at the church, Lord, thank you for blessing us, and then putting up our fence near the playground, and doing such great work. We are so grateful for them and pray, God, you continue to work on their hearts. And God, we thank you for the opportunities to pray for the extended family here in Montgomery, our fellow brothers and sisters. And Lord, this morning we lift up Pastor Mark Bethay and those at First Baptist Church downtown. We thank you for their heart and their ministry. Mark's become a dear friend and just hearing his heart for his church and the city. We pray your blessings upon them, the the influence they have all over this city and so many different ministries, God. We pray you continue to bless them, bless Mark and his family, his children, um, just the weight that's on him and all that's involved with his ministry. We pray your protection over them. And we just thank you that we can lift them up today, God, and all the wonderful things you're doing to advance your kingdom at First Baptist. And again, Lord, thank you. We can pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. And this morning we lift up two missionaries, Morgan Reeve and Catherine Long as they're ministering in Santiago, Chile. As they work with the Baptist church there, uh, Comunidad Cristiana Le De Hesa. As they're working in a local school and a community there, we pray, God, you continue to have gospel impact with those students through Morgan and Catherine and this church that's there. We pray that you continue to open doors for them with the gospel, that these kids would be drawn to you, Lord, and that they'd be able to bring discipleship and, and ministering to these young people on a daily basis as they minister there. 
And also for the Baptist Church there, we pray, Lord, you give them wisdom as they're seeking out a new pastor presently. We know you have a shepherd picked for this specific flock, Lord, and just give their uh, team uh, and their leadership wisdom and direction on uh, who that man you have set aside, God, to lead this flock. And Lord, thank you for your provision. We ask you to bless the offering today. Those that have given online or here, we thank you that you're a good God, and we are so blessed that we have given just a small portion back in return. Continue to bless it, Lord, what you desire to do here at this church. And lastly, we thank you for our pastor. Thank you, Lord, for Grady. Thank you for his heart to minister to us and teach us and shepherd us. We pray you fill him afresh with your spirit today. Give him energy and strength as he comes to declare your word. Holy Spirit, guide and direct his thoughts and his mind as he has been studying faithfully. And we just pray a blessing upon him this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. You are worthy of everything for your honor and your glory and your praise and for the honor and authority of your name, Jesus Christ, by which we pray. Amen. You may be seated in first to fourth grade. You're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, you're with Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer this morning. Y'all get a little more elbow room with them running out now. We'll find 1 Peter chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 4. One of the repeated themes we've seen all throughout this letter is a topic of suffering. We found it in every chapter so far. And today we come to Peter's final words on suffering, his final teachings on suffering here towards the end of chapter 4. Now as Peter is preparing us, as we saw last week, the beloved people of God, he's preparing us for the reality of suffering in this world. In the text we come to today in verses 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 4, he's going to give us some commands that are far beyond anything you or I can do in our own strength. These commands are astronomical and something that brings us quickly to the end of ourselves and our absolute need for God's transforming grace to live out what he's called us to allow in the midst of our sufferings. And yet in the midst of that astronomical command, these verses are filled with incredible hope for us today as we walk through the hardships of life. The verses we're coming to this morning, I believe, are some of the most profound verses on suffering in all of Scripture. And so as we read today, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, I want you to be thinking in your own life, is this my perspective on suffering? Is this how I view suffering when the trial I view and how I respond to the trials and hardships of life in my own life? So 1 Peter chapter 4, we're looking at verses 14 to 16. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Peter says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you for giving it to us, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us. And Lord, as we come again to this difficult topic of suffering that you've been showing us week after week, I pray you'd be preparing our hearts, that you'd be preparing us to be the people you desire for us to be. So would you give us understanding of this text, Lord? Would you give us application of this text to our life, and would your Holy Spirit convict us where we need conviction, encouragement where we need encouragement? You'd be sanctifying us, growing us, maturing us to be the people you desire us to be. And we ask it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the foundation of this text is what we've seen week after week after week on this topic, and that's the reality of suffering once again. 
focus here in the verse that we just read. Peter reminds us of the normal Christian life. Look back at verse 14 here. He begins, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. Now just pause right there. Insulted means to be reviled, to be ridiculed, to be verbally abused, to be slandered, to be disgraced. Fun stuff, right? This is what he's saying happens in the normal Christian life, that we are insulted, we are ridiculed, we are disgraced, we are slandered because of the name of Christ, because we identify with Christ. And friends, what he's telling us here in verse 14, this is not just a rare occasion that maybe once in your life this will happen. The Greek tense he's writing in here is present tense. That means this is ongoing. That the normal Christian experience is to be insulted and to be insulted again and to be insulted again all through our lives for the name of Christ. That means throughout our lives we will be spoken against because we love Jesus. We'll be spoken against because we're seeking by God's grace to order our lives according to his will. Now, Peter repeats that there with a broader term. Go down to verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, broadens this out from just the verbal insults to suffering in general because we're a Christian. Now, this is a fascinating phrase he does here because if you're familiar with it, the word Christian was not the original term the early church used for themselves. The term Christian was a term of derision. It was a verbal insult like he was talking about in verse 14 that non-believers would use this as a term of mockery for the followers of Jesus. And so he pairs that with suffering here. Let none, he's telling us, let if you suffer as a Christian, as one who's being mocked for his or her faith. He's pairing those together to show us this is the normal Christian experience. Now, if you're reading the verse, you may be going, but Grady, verse 14 says, if, verse 16 here says, if, if you are, if you suffer as a Christian or if you are insulted for the name of Christ. Does the if here give us hope that we may not have to endure sufferings? And the answer is no, the if here is not to give us hope that we might escape life without hardships. Look at what he told us in verse 12, right before the ifs here. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange or abnormal were happening to you. He's just told us that suffering and trials is normal in the Christian life. So what is this if here for? The if here that he's in verse 14 and 16 is a literary device to make us pause and consider our own lives when he says this. It's a literary device to help us personalize the truth. When we see the if here, if anyone suffers as a Christian, we see the if, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, is to make us pause and go, how have I experienced this in my life, and how am I responding to it? It's to personalize the truth for us. So that's the big question that Peter is raising for us. How do we respond when suffering comes? How do you respond when suffering comes? How do I respond by telling us what we are not to do. Look at verse 16. He says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So the first part of this command, what we're to put off is we're to put off being ashamed. Now what does it mean to be ashamed? It means to be embarrassed about something. If you want a glimpse of how this word gets translated, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, this is the exact same word, but notice how it's translated to bring out the meaning. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence in here it is, not shrink from him shame. In the Greek, is the exact same word we were just looking at in 1 Peter 4, to be ashamed. We're to not be ashamed. We're not to shrink from him in shame at his coming. So go back to verse 16 of our text. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not shrink back in shame. Let him not be embarrassed. Well, what are we not to be embarrassed about in our sufferings? Can I suggest two things? Number one, we're not to be embarrassed about the suffering itself. We're not to be embarrassed about the suffering and sufferings. In the culture we live in, there's a lot of pressure for people to have a smile on and to feel pressure they have to have it all figured out. 
So many, many people who name the name of Christ and perhaps even here hide their struggles, hide their sufferings, hide the hardships they're walking through. And the reality is sufferings are normal. They're part of every one of our lives and it's nothing that we're to be ashamed of. Friends, when we're ashamed of our sufferings and embarrassed by them and hide them, what we're really doing is depriving ourselves of one of God's grace gifts of community. We're not made to walk through our sufferings sufferings we miss the community that can come alongside us to help us but also when we're ashamed of our sufferings friend we miss the opportunity to have other people walk alongside us to provide help and we miss the opportunity to rejoice in god in the midst of our sufferings pointing others to god's sufficiency to sustain us so we're to not be embarrassed or ashamed of our sufferings number two though we're not to be embarrassed about following god in those sufferings we're not to be embarrassed about following god in those sufferings Friends, when we realize that following Jesus is costly, when we realize that people may insult us, mock us, laugh at us, or our... <laughs> Need me to switch mics? We good now, Chris? There we go, okay. Can't talk with my hands as well, so bear with me on this here. This is good for my sanctification, right? <laughs> we're, we're not to be embarrassed about following God in those sufferings as well, because when the temptation, the temptation comes to us to hide our faith, we realize people are mocking us for our faith, or we realize people may shun us for our faith, it becomes easy to withdraw and to hide and to shrink away from letting other people know that we believe. And Peter's saying, do not be ashamed in your sufferings. Do not go there. Do not be afraid to let your faith in Christ be public even when... Is costly. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Therefore, here's the same thing again, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is the theme of all of Scripture. Life is not going to be easy. You're going to have sufferings because you love Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the sufferings, and do not be ashamed of Christ in those sufferings. Yet, friends, the reality is, when life gets hard and when the sufferings come, particularly because of our faith, we are very quick to go down the path of being ashamed of Christ. We get real quiet about our faith and real timid about our faith. Why? Because at the core, a lot of us, myself included here, we struggle with fearing people more than we fear God. We're more worried about pleasing people than pleasing God. We're worried about what harm might come to us if we stand for Christ. We're worried about what relationship might get broken if we stand for Christ. And so we get really quiet and timid about our faith. And so God reorients us. He calls us back to right thinking about suffering. That's been this whole section. He calls us back to fearing him, not fearing others. And he tells us now in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, and you will, he says here, then to not be ashamed. Friends, in other words, our faith in Christ is nothing for us to be ashamed of, even when the culture tells us it is. That's going to be really important for us. Our faith in Christ is nothing for us to be ashamed of, even when the culture and the society says it is. When our friends say it's something to be ashamed of, God's telling us it's not anything to be ashamed of. When the movies and the media and the people around us say your faith is something to be ashamed of, God is calling us back here in verse 16 to not be ashamed of our faith or to be ashamed of our sufferings. Now, if that's what we put off, what do we replace it with? What do we put on instead? What are we to do instead of being ashamed. And that's in verse 16 as well. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but, here it is, let him glorify God in that name. Let him glorify God. Now, what in the world does it mean to glorify God? 
It means to act and speak in ways that God is honored in our lives. It's to act, it's to speak in such a way that God is honored in our lives. It's living in such a way that the character of God is on display. Don't you know something? Glorifying God is very active. Being ashamed is very passive, right? When you're ashamed, you're retreating, you're hiding, you're withdrawing. When you're glorifying, you're actively pursuing something. You're acting in ways. You're pursuing speaking in ways. You're pursuing living in ways that show the greatness of God. Now, just as the command in verse 16 to not be ashamed, I told you, was present tense. It was ongoing. So is the command here of what we're to do instead, to glorify God. This is present tense. That means we're to glorify God and keep on glorifying God. And keep on glorifying God and keep on glorifying God and keep on and keep on and keep on. You get the idea. This is not a, well, I glorify God on Sunday morning at church. I'm done for the week. This is we glorify God day by day, moment by moment, in the highs and in the lows, in the good times and in the sufferings. We're to keep on glorifying God no matter what comes. Now, in light of that command, we're going to do something a little bit different here. I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea of the text now. Now, if you're looking at your watch, we're not done yet, okay? I know a lot of times this comes in. We're doing this in the middle today. So I'm going to make sure we get the command. But there's a lot more to unpack in this verse because the rest of these verses tell us how to live out this command. So I want to make sure we get the command down that Peter gives us here. And then we'll unpack how we live it out. So here's the main truth of this whole text. And it's simply this. Do not be ashamed in your sufferings. Rather, glorify God in them. Do not be ashamed of them, whether your sufferings are from cancer or from being insulted for Christ, whether it's a broken relationship or you're being mocked because you love Jesus, whether you're grieving from a passing of someone or you've lost something, a job or something else because of your faith in Christ. He's saying in those such situations, do not be ashamed. Do not be embarrassed of the hardships. Do not be embarrassed of Christ. Do not retreat. Do not hide. Do not shrink away in fear. Do not deny Christ. Do not hide your faith. And do not just go around pretending everything is okay if it's not. Rather, Actively pursue glorifying God. Actively pursue praising him, honoring him, serving him, loving him in the midst of all you do. Do not be ashamed in your sufferings. Rather, glorify God in them. Now, that's the core truth of this text. Now, before we see how to live it out, there's an important clarification that Peter makes here that goes with our text. And the clarification is not all sufferings are the same. Change that mic. many months ago. There's a suffering that comes from other people. The suffering that comes from the sinfulness of other people. This includes the persecutions that come because we're followers of Christ. There's a second type of suffering. That just is a suffering that comes from living in this world. There's the brokenness of this world. There's the sickness, the death, the struggles of life, the pains. But there's a third type of suffering, and that's the suffering that comes because of my own sin. The stupid, sinful things I do myself. Now, all suffering is not the same. When Peter is talking about suffering here, he's talking about the suffering that comes from the sinful actions of others and the suffering that comes from just the brokenness of the world. When he's talking about not being ashamed, he's talking about not being ashamed of those first two types of suffering. When he's talking about glorifying God in your suffering, he's talking about glorifying God as you walk through the brokenness of life, glorifying God as you endure suffering from other people. He's not talking about your glorifying God when you're suffering because of your own stupid, sinful choices here. Notice his distinction in verse 15 here. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or even as a meddler. He's saying when you're suffering, pause and evaluate your heart. Make sure you're suffering because you're walking with Jesus, and you're suffering to not because you have done sinful things. Now, why does he have to tell us that? 
quite simply because it's easy for us to rationalize our sufferings and act like every hard thing we face is because, well, I'm following Jesus and I'm blessed in this. Friends, when we're suffering because we sin, that's very different than what he's talking about here. I love how Paul Tripp says it. Paul Tripp says, I would like to think that all of my suffering is gospel heroism, but it's not. So I have the potential to make my life so painful and so difficult and so hard. And it's so true. Every time we're suffering, it's not because we're heroic for the gospel. Sometimes we're suffering because we have done sinful things and brought upon reactions of people to us because of our own sin. And so Peter is clarifying that for us here. So friends, if someone reviles us and insults us because in the words of this verse, we were meddling in their lives, that's not suffering for Jesus. We're suffering because we were stupid and meddled in their lives when we weren't supposed to. If, someone, if we are reviled or insulted because we've been critical and not loving people, that's not suffering for Jesus, suffering because of our own sin. If someone insults us and points out our greed and our selfishness, we're not suffering for Jesus here. We're not blessed. They're pointing out our sin that's in our heart. If we're angry and towards other people and we suffer because of that, that's not suffering for Jesus here. Those are all self-induced sinful suffering that we cannot claim to be gospel suffering or blessings that are coming from God. Peter is focused on the sufferings that come because life is hard in the world. And he's focused on the sufferings that we endure at the sinful hands of other people and the sinful words of others because we belong to Christ. And in those situations, it says, do not be ashamed of your sufferings. Rather, glorify God in them. That raises a question for us in those types of sufferings. How in the world can we glorify God in those types of sufferings? Friends, that is a really an astronomical command. When we're suffering, we're to glorify and keep on glorifying and keep on glorifying and keep on glorifying God. Even when it costs us, we're to not be ashamed and not be ashamed and not be ashamed of Christ or of our sufferings. How in the world can we live this out when it's so hard on our own? And that's the beauty of this text. Verse 14 tells us how to live it out. But the hope of verse 14 is not go try harder. The hope of verse 14 is not that white-knuckle determination. Is not go read a new book on this. It's not go take a new class on suffering. He gives us incredible hope here for us. And it's a glorious promise. Friends, and all the stuff I've read over the years on suffering, I'm not sure I've ever even heard this verse mentioned in much of the teaching. It's one I really hadn't even noticed or paid much attention to until this week. But it's too good for us to miss. This is an incredible promise of hope that God has given to us here. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because... The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now the promise here is blessing and suffering. This is not the first time Peter has shown us this, but it's a promise for us of blessing and suffering. To be blessed means to be favored by God, to receive good things from God, to receive benefits from God. He's saying as you suffer for Christ, you are favored by God. As you suffer for Christ, you are blessed by God. Now what is included in that blessing from the Lord? Two things here. But to see these two things, you have to realize what our English translations have done to us here. And trying to smooth out the verse and make it more readable for us, they've lost a little bit of the beauty of what this says. When Peter wrote this, literally, this is how it would read in the Greek version. He said, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed. There's no you are there. He just describes you. If you're insulted, blessed. That is who you are in God's view. But it says, because, and now this is where it looks a little bit different than our English, because glory and the Spirit of God rest upon you. Peter doesn't say the Spirit of glory and God rest on you. He says, because glory and the Spirit of God rest on you. Now, the translations try to smooth out and put Spirit at the front to kind of make it one thing. But I'm convinced, though not all scholars agree, that there's actually two different promises here. That glory rests upon you and the Spirit of God rests upon you. And these are glorious promises of hope for us in our suffering. So what are the two promises? 
The first promise is we get to experience a glimpse of God's glory in our sufferings. We get to experience a glimpse of God's glory in our sufferings. Again, verse 14 literally would read, blessed because glory and the Spirit of God rest on you. What in the world does it mean for glory to rest on you? Now, to understand what Peter's saying here, you have to realize he's looking both backwards and forward. Peter's looking backwards to the Old Testament. Think of what would be called the Shekinah glory of God, the bright light around the presence of God, God's visible presence leading his people. As you think about the, God's people wandering through those wilderness wanderings, there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to guide them. The glory of God was in their midst. And what did the glory of God in their midst show them? It showed them that God was with them in their hardships, and it showed them that God was guiding them through their journey. And Peter says that glory is now resting on you, that you are not alone in your trials and your sufferings, that God is right there with you too, and God is guiding you. So he's looking back to how God in his glory led his people, and he's saying God is still with you in your sufferings, God is still leading you. Friends, talk about hope and sufferings. This is a promise that you are not alone. God is right there with you. That's his backwards look, but he's also forward-looking. Peter's been talking a lot about the glory of God that's still to be displayed. He did that just a few verses ago. Look back at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad. Notice this, when his glory is revealed. So he just said that there's a time coming when we see Christ and his glory in a way that we have never experienced before. And now in the very next verse, after he says, when his glory is revealed, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the glory and the spirit of God rest on you. He's saying when you are suffering, God gives you a foretaste of the experience that's still to come of his glory that you will see in full in the future. It's one of the authors I read said it so well. He said, Peter is saying that when believers are asked by God to endure suffering for Christ's sake, the glory that is yet to be revealed in its final expression has already entered into their experience in advance of that day. He's saying that though a lot more is to come, when you are suffering, you get a taste of God's glorious presence to sustain you through those sufferings. He's reminding you of his presence now as he points you to much more of it to come. He's reminding you of joy now as you long for the fullness of his joy to come when you see him face to face. So how in the world do we glorify God when life is hard and full of trials and full of sufferings? We glorify God knowing that the glory of God is with us, that the glory of God, his presence is with us, guiding us, comforting us, directing us, and pointing us to the hope of what is still to come. But if you go back to verse 14, there's a second promise here. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed, because the glory and the spirit of God rest Upon you. He says, The Spirit of God rests upon you. The Holy Spirit rests upon you. The Holy Spirit fills you in this. Peter's pointing you back 700 years before Christ to Isaiah, to one of the Messianic prophets. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And notice what Isaiah prophesies about Christ. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And notice this language here. It should sound really familiar to 1 Peter. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That This is a prophecy that when Christ comes, the Holy Spirit will descend upon him, will fill him, will anoint him for ministry, will guide and direct him in all that he does. So when Isaiah says this, this is future tense. The, the Lord shall, the Spirit of the Lord shall, it's not yet to happen yet, it shall rest upon him. Now go back to verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed because glory and the Spirit of God rest upon you. 
He didn't just make this past tense. He didn't just say, yes, this was fulfilled in Christ. The Spirit of God rested on Christ. He now applies this to you as a believer and says the Holy Spirit of God not only rested on Christ for His ministry, the Holy Spirit of God now, present tense today, rests on you in your sufferings. Friends, don't miss the wonder of this. The Spirit of God who strengthened Jesus to endure sufferings is now with you to strengthen you to endure sufferings as well. The Spirit of God who gave Jesus joy as he endured the cross now gives you joy for whatever sufferings God and his plan has established for you. Peter applies Isaiah's prophecies, not just being fulfilled in Christ, but now applying to believers that the Holy Spirit has come to help us in our sufferings. So how does the Holy Spirit help us in our sufferings? Give you four ways. Number one, he'll sustain your faith. He just told us not to be ashamed of our faith. But for instance, when persecution comes, when hardships comes, when mockery comes, it's easy just to want to question our faith. But the Holy Spirit sustains us in our faith. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed. You were secured with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the one who keeps our faith from wavering. We don't keep our own faith from wavering. We're not hanging on to God. God is holding us. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who secures our faith and sustains our faith even when we face all the trials of life. Number two, it's closely related, he gives us assurance that we do belong to God. He gives us assurance that we belong to God. He gives us the assurance that our trials are not God forsaking us. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Friends, we don't have to convince ourselves we're Christians. If we're in Christ, no matter what comes in the trials, the Holy Spirit's the one who's bearing witness to us that we do belong to God, that we are children of God. And verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. There it is again, in order that we also may be glorified with him. So he sustains our faith. He assures us in the midst of our trials we belong to God. He even helps us know how to respond to insults. Mark chapter 13, verse 11, he shows us how to respond when we're insulted for Christ. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So when we're insulted for Christ, he guides us in how to respond to those sufferings. And the number four, he comforts us with his presence. He comforts us with his presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and notice this, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Friends, this is an incredible promise that we are being given here, that when we face sufferings, we don't face them alone. The glory of God is resting upon us, that we have a foretaste of what we'll experience much more to come. We have His presence with us, and particularly then we have the Holy Spirit with us, sustaining our faith, assuring us of our salvation, helping us know how to respond, and being with us to secure us in fellowship with us. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is doing what the, Father, what the Father's promised to do for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, which we'll get to here in just a few weeks here. It says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, there's a strengthen, and establish you. The Holy Spirit is doing what the Father has sent to do. He's strengthening us. He's sustaining us to bring us to that day. So one of the authors I read this week said it so well. It made me really pause and think. He said, the theme of endurance through times of undeserved suffering appears again. We are to view each experience of suffering as an opportunity 
maybe stop right there. When's the last time I thought about sufferings and trials as opportunities? I don't think that's how we normally think. It's not how I normally think. We're to view such experiences as an opportunity to receive an even greater measure of the Spirit's manifest presence. There are opportunities to receive an even greater measure of the Spirit's manifest presence. When we are walking through suffering, yes, the Holy Spirit always is sustaining us, but there's a special measure of grace. God gives a special measure of the Spirit's presence to get us through the trials. That's when we talk to people who have endured great suffering and great trials, and you, they come to interview, you're like, how do you get through this? A lot of times their answers are very common. I don't know, but God was with me. I'm not sure how I made it through, but God's sustainment gave me peace and joy. And they look back and they're really not sure how they got through. The answer is quite simple. The glory of God and the Spirit of God sustain them through those hardships. And friends, if we want a beautiful example of the Holy Spirit doing that in someone, is Stephen in Acts chapter 6. One of the very first deacons. In Acts 6, you have this incredible picture of the gospel going forth. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of the Lord continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here you have one of the early deacons in the church, and God's moving in mighty ways in the book of Acts. And here you have Stephen at work here. Verse 9, And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Croatians and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, this is what we've seen over and over. When you live for Christ, sometimes people believe, sometimes people Enjoy learning the truth. But a lot of times opposition comes. And here's Stephen, a man full of grace and wisdom and truth. And the lost world around him wasn't like, oh, wow, we love you being like this. No, people begin to accuse him. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Here's a man now facing persecution and the Holy Spirit was within him guiding him in how to speak. Verse 11, and they secretly incited and instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him. And they seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So here's an example of someone being insulted for the name of Christ. What we're just seeing in 1 Peter, right? He is being ridiculed. He's being reviled. He has false things being said about him. But in the very next verse here, in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. Because that's not how most of us look when we're suffering, is it? We get very sour very quickly, very bitter very quickly, but his face was like an angel. How? Because the glory of God and the Spirit of God were sustaining him and guiding him in the midst of unjust insults and persecutions here. And we see in verse 15, his face was like an angel there. Now, what follows in Acts 7, I'm not going to read all of it. I'd encourage you to read it later. Is him challenging the people with the gospel, pointing them to how the prophets have been rejected and ultimately how they've rejected Christ and how Christ is the only way. And speaking for Christ can be costly. So look at how the people respond to his passionate plea to repent and believe. Verse 54 of Acts 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Again, friends, when we live for Christ, yes, we pray that people will see the light. We pray that non-believers will come to faith in Christ. And God does do that at times. But a lot of times the law simply grind their teeth. They're enraged at what we present to them of the exclusivity of Christ. But notice what happens here when he's being insulted in the name of Christ. Verse 55. To me, this is a beautiful picture of all of what we've seen in 1 Peter 4. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw 
The glory of God. Now, he's not dead yet. He hasn't even been stoned. This is not him stoning and being escorted into heaven in some way here. He's still alive proclaiming Christ. And how is God sustaining him through the hardships and the insults that Peter talks about? He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he sees the glory of God. He gets a glimpse of what is still to come that he will see in the revelation of Christ. He's experiencing 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16 right before our eyes right here. Then what happens? He full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God in verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He said this, he fell asleep. Friends, talk about a beautiful picture of 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16, of someone who was unashamed in his sufferings, who was unashamed of Christ and didn't back down from proclaiming Christ and the sufferings, who trusted the goodness of God, who experienced the Holy Spirit filling him and guiding him, who experienced getting a taste of the glory of God in the future. Friends, this is an example for us. It's not just the nice story of Stephen. This is a testimony of what we've seen in 1 Peter 4, of how we are called like Stephen to trust in the goodness of God in our sufferings, to not be ashamed of our sufferings, not be ashamed of Christ in our sufferings, not back down for proclaiming Christ, even when it's costing us everything, to rely on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to long to see the glory of God so that we can glorify God, honor God, and praise God. So in light of all that, I want to adapt our main idea. I want to add one phrase to it in light of what we've seen this morning. I told you earlier, do not be ashamed in your sufferings, rather glorify God in them. This is the other truth I want to add to that. Glorify God in them knowing the Holy Spirit will enable you to do so. Friends, this is not a text that calls us just to be, I'm going to try harder this week to not be ashamed of Christ. I'm going to try harder this week to not to be, oh, be real and vulnerable to people about my struggles. This is not a call this week for me to try harder to praise God when life is hard. This is a call this week to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to produce in us what you and I cannot produce ourselves. And that's an unwavering faith, an assurance that we do belong to God, of knowing the right words to speak in those situations and ultimately having lives that honor and praise God even when life appears to be falling apart. Friends, do not be ashamed in your sufferings. Rather, glorify God in them knowing He, the Holy Spirit, will enable you to do so. So like that, I want to close with just one question for you today. Just one. Is that how you view sufferings in your life? Is that how I view sufferings in my life? Do we see them as opportunities to trust the Lord Do we see them as opportunities for a greater experience of the Holy Spirit sustaining us and guiding us? Do we see our sufferings as opportunities for God to move in and through us? And the reality is, friends, that's not the way I normally think of sufferings. When life gets hard, I'm not thinking, wow, praise God, this is an opportunity to experience more of the fullness of God, to more of the Spirit of God, more foretaste of the glory of God. That's not where my mind normally goes. But God in His grace gives us His unchanging word to grow in us His perspective. So when the trials come, and they will, that we are ready to not be ashamed of them, to not be ashamed of Christ, but ready to honor God in whatever we face, knowing that he will provide us everything we need in the person, the Holy Spirit in us, to live for him no matter the cost. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for the glorious promise that we are not alone. God, you've told us that life will be hard, that we will face trials and sufferings and persecutions and insults and hardships. And Lord, you tell us this so that we're prepared for whatever comes in life. But Lord, we confess so often, we try to tackle these things in our own strength. And so often I try in my own strength and my own wisdom to figure out how to navigate difficult situations. But you're not calling us to try in our own strength. You're calling us to depend upon you, 
So Lord, I pray you'll give me and give these precious brothers and sisters much grace. Lord, we don't know what the future holds for us individually, for us as a church, for us as a nation, for us as a world. But Lord, you do because you hold the future. You hold all of our tomorrows. And I pray that we would trust in you. We trust in you to guide us and lead us. We trust in you on the good days and the hard days. We trust in you when we're insulted and when people like us. We trust in you no matter what we face. Lord, I pray that our longing would be to so get a glimpse of your glory, to so experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that when those hardships come, we know, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, we know that we are not alone, that you are right there with us, walking with us, holding us, guiding us, pointing us in the right direction as we walk on this journey towards eternity with you forever. So would you be establishing us in these truths, Lord, for those who are suffering today, who are struggling and hurting, whether it's sickness or broken relationships or insults from others because of Christ, would you today comfort them? Would you today encourage them? Would you remind them of your presence? And would you lead them to a place where they cry out, Lord, I want more of you in these hardships? Now, for those right now who are on the mountaintops, who are not in the valleys, who are in more times of ease right now, I pray you would guard them from thinking that's how it will always be. But Lord, they would be so focused on you when the hardships come, they know what to do in those things. Lord, you know where everyone in this room is. You know where we are in our walk with you. You know where we are in our struggles and what's still to come. And so would you be so establishing us in you and your word and our identity in you and our longing for your word that we are ready for whatever journey that you will call us in this life to walk through. Lord, we can't do that, but you can. So we humbly ask this morning, you would be growing us and sanctifying us and making us a people who are not ashamed of you Lord, a people who will glorify you on the highs and in the lows. Because, Lord, you deserve the worship. You deserve the glory. And, Lord, that's what we desire to do by your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a closing song today, one that's newer, but you've heard several times. It's called All of Our Tomorrows. And I hope this will be a praise to the Lord and an affirmation that you know he is holding you no matter what tomorrow brings. Let's sing that together.
Now, friends, it's one thing for us to sing about God and holding all of our tomorrows. It's a very different thing to live that way, isn't it? But some of you may need some prayer about the things you're walking with. So I want to see if some of our elders can be up front after service. See Greg right up here and CJ, um, or you in the room. I think William's in the room. If you guys can come to the front. And so after we close today, if you want someone to pray for you, grab one of these guys and let them pray with you about whatever you're wrestling with through the storms of life. Let me pray for us. Father, what hope there is in knowing that you are the one who holds all of our tomorrows. You're the one holding us in your hand and that no one can snatch us out of your hands. Lord, we rest in that, and I pray, Lord, that would not just be a song we sing, but that would be our experience all this week. So would you give us much grace, much fullness of the Holy Spirit this week, Lord, to really rest in the fact you are holding us and you are holding our tomorrows. And would you give us much grace this week to be a people who are not ashamed of you, but who seek and desire to honor you all this week. Lord, you deserve all the glory. So help us glorify you this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.